Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now you know me, Justin. I'm relatively well-traveled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently. So that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location at the push of a button, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favourite shows or films. It's a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Mick McCarthy to my Neil Critchley. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's It's been a really good weekend of football, which has got me very excited for the rest of the season, mainly because there's so many games to fit in and things are going to change. And I think what we're also seeing is teams opening up as well, which also really really excites me so that's left me in a very good place for what is going to be another four-day week yeah Mm. good times yeah it's it's setting up to be a very very juicy last few weeks of the season and we've basically got football virtually every other day i think haven't we i mean sky have got this 10 out of 10 day coming up at 10 out of 10 games or something like that where they have a 10 games on 10 different days, um, which are all championship games, by the way, not just random EFL games, all championship games. So that's going to be interesting. But I hope you get your football fix very soon, Justin, because you certainly should do based off what we've got left. Well, it's, it's going to be difficult not to. There's a, Again, there's a lot of permutations which help as well. But I think it's just the, that post sort of Easter weekend excitement because as well, we've got quite a lot of April left to go. There's still quite a few games left. So whilst teams have had these two games to really get themselves going and pick up six points potentially and really help themselves, there's still a lot of games to be left. Whereas April, uh, Easter sometimes falls a little bit later in April, so it doesn't have that big of an impact. But here we are, lots of points still to play for and lots of excitement on this end, although my voice does not pitch that sort of tone, I imagine. It never does. I think it's also amazing that we still have five games to go, just five games to go, and I still have no idea who's going to finish in the playoffs. And I think it's also very tricky to predict who's going down as well. Mm -hmm. But let's have a chat about it, Justin. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to go through the games from Easter Monday. Every single team played their part on Easter Monday. So we'll go through all those games and then finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. So we'll kick things off with a huge game with... 
Not too much really on the line, but still a huge game nonetheless. It was first v second at Turf Moor, and despite being severely hungover, Burnley beat Sheffield United 2 0. The Blades were down to 10 men for more than 70 minutes after goalkeeper Wes Fodringham was sent off for a foul outside the box. And I mean, what was he doing, Justin? <laughs> yeah, what was he doing? Uh, I mean, goalkeepers are a little bit mad sometimes, aren't they? Wes Fodringham has been a largely very composed, very reliable stopper this season. So for him to make decisions to, to come out and then I can't remember who was breaking away. I think it was was it Teller. Um for them to for him to then kick him over uh, while he's through on goal. Yeah, it is quite a strange decision, but it's more so the case of why he came out to clear the ball given that Jack Robinson was well the ball was stuck to Jack Robinson's feet, wasn't it? So yeah, really, really strange scenario, but one that um yeah I won't, say, I won't say it will cost them for the rest of the season, but it's not a good time to get suspended, is it? Well, it was only one-way traffic from that point, which won't surprise anyone. Sheffield United did have a couple of decent chances, to be fair to them, but it was always difficult to see Burnley not winning this one. The two goals came from Johan Berg Goodmanson, who I think is a bit of an unsung hero for Burnley in T. He's only missed eight games for them this season. He's that versatile team player that every top side needs, isn't he? And I think anyone who plays that many games as he has done for Burnley this season, considering how dominant Burnley have been, does, deserves a lot of credit for the season that he's had. Well, without doubt, he's a he's a player who's always got that quality. His left foot is a very, very good asset to have in that Burnley side. He's, I mean, you saw how many deliveries he would put in under Sean Dyche and how often Burnley would profit from that. Now it was always going to be interesting to see how he would adapt to this company system, and I know he spent the first portion of the season injured as well, which wasn't ideal or pre-season injured under company. But he's he's came he's come in, he's taken to it as well. He's he's adapted really well to it, and he's been that player who's been ever reliable. If games are tight, he's come on. He's made a massive, massive difference. And obviously, when you've got a, a game as tight as this, given how low Sheffield United were, were sat and how deep they were, and and you know how difficult they were making it for Burnley having someone to come on in the in the in in the air of Goodmanson to, to come on and make that difference is massive and he did and he was he was superb and he's he's been brilliant all season as you say he's been an unsung hero. I think he's one of those as well when Burnley were in the Premier League and they were playing Deitch ball and players didn't have opportunities to actually have the ball at their feet and show how talented they are because it's you know ricocheting around all over the shop. <laughs> I think Goodmanson's the kind of player whose technical ability you kind of underestimate. And now that he's dropped down to the championship, he's really shown how good a player he actually is. And he's kind of in the same breath as, you know, Brownhill and other players aren't coming to my mind now, right now. But you see what I mean? When they drop down to championship level, you start to really appreciate, actually, yeah. these yeah, guys yeah. are Premier League players. And that's why they fully deserve their place back in the top flight. I am starting to wonder, Justin, and I'm fully ready for you to roll your eyes at this suggestion, whether we might have to reopen the conversation about the points record. Because Burnley would have to win every game to beat it. If they draw one, then they'd match it. Now, I had begun to close the book on the possibility of that happening, but they've seen off Middlesbrough and Sheffield United. Their remaining six games, Justin, get this. Reading, Rotherham, QPR, Blackburn, Bristol City... And Cardiff, just one team in the top half there. I struggle to see where they could come unstuck there. Now, keep in mind they've only lost two games all season, so a loss kind of feels out of the question for me. But even drawing a game, they still match it. So I think it may be time to sound the alarm, people. Burnley (laughs) breaking the points record. It's back on. I, th- I think it's still back on. I, I would still question whether... I mean, if they beat it, yes, they are the best ever championship team, but there's a lot of football to be played and it's the championship and you've, they're coming up against teams who have got a lot on the line. You've got QPR. On paper, they look like good fixtures for Burnley considering where they are, but when you consider the context around it, Burnley are going to be on the piss potentially over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we saw that with that Leeds team, didn't we? That went up a couple of seasons ago. That they, I mean, they were still winning games hungover, so... That's the remarkable thing, remarkable thing about them. And if, I think if Burnley can get or at least match that points record while on the piss, then maybe you can consider them one of the best teams ever because I don't think there are many teams that have been able to be as consistent as they are or as good as they are, both sober and pissed. 
so whilst it's on, I've taken a slightly different view of this. But whilst it's on, I think you could put yeah Burnley in the air of one of the best teams ever, even if they do do match it. Because as I say, they're going to be on the piss for the next few weeks. Sheffield United's second place is still very much in their hands. They've got a five-point advantage still on Luton in third, plus they have a game in hand. So it remains difficult to see this fixture not being a Premier League game next season, doesn't it, Justin? Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's difficult to see Sheffield United uh, slipping up, considering Burnley are having, a, uh, sorry, Middlesbrough having a little bit of a wobble. Luton are relentless, but have they got enough to overtake Sheffield United at this point? Probably not, you'd say. But again, it's a championship. You can't rule anything out. That being said, this could have been a different game had Fodderingham not been sent off. I think the contest was taken out of it. So it's quite hard to really assess this Sheffield United Sheffield United side after this game so it's how they react on, on Saturday but as I said about West Fodringham bad time to get suspended considering a lot of football still left to be played Preston have now won five of their last six as their remarkable playoff push continues they beat Reading 2-1 and it was fully deserved Reading they were on the back foot for most of this game until they were forced to come out and attack after Tom Cannon's goal but Preston dominated this one and really should have wrapped it up sooner than the 92nd minute, shouldn't they? Perhaps that's the criticism that we've, they've, they've had for most of the season is their ability to take chances at, at, at the right times. But yeah, Preston's yeah, relentless pursuit of the playoffs is, is still on. It's, it's a remarkable run of form, isn't it? Considering where they've come from, they've had a really unremarkable season up until sort of, I guess, February time. So Ryan Lowe being able to yeah persist with this while probably overachieving the squad he's got is, is, is fantastic. But this, this game here was... Yeah, it was, it was a tough game. Reading made it really difficult for Preston. Preston had to find find a way to win. I thought Fernandez was, was brilliant with some of his deliveries at, at left wing back as well, which really, really helped. But yeah, it was a, a really good result at a really good time because I think this also showed that they come up against a team who are fighting for their lives. It was a difficult afternoon for Ryan Lowside, but they still find a way to win, which is what you need to do when, you, when you're pushing for the players. We saw Blackburn, for example, in the playoffs and Millwall struggling to get results um, on Monday, so that's the difference I think between them and Preston. And as as I mentioned on in in the previous episode, Tom Cannon in form is a massive, massive plus. Brad Potts scored the winner and got absolutely taken out by Ryan Ledson while celebrating the winner. He was nearly decapitated by him. Uh, Preston were excellent though. Daniel Johnson controlled the game in midfield. Tom Cannon a menace throughout. Alvaro Fernandez was very good on the left. And Brad Potts can be hit or miss, but he was definitely hit on this occasion. And it now means Preston are kept out of the top six only on goal difference. They were eight points off the playoffs this time last month. So for them to be actually in this position is unbelievable, Justin. Well, this is what I was saying in the, the previous episode is there are teams that come up and just sneak up on you and Preston have, have certainly done that. I mean, I've seen quite a few tweets saying how'd they get there um, over the last sort of, yeah, 12, 12 or so hours. And it's it is, a very it good is, question. <laughs> yeah, how did they get there? They they were a very, very mid-table side up until, as, as you pointed out, six, seven games ago. So the, the runner form that they're on now... They're taking advantage of teams, not taking advantage of the position they're in. You look at Norwich dropping points, Millwall dropping points, Blackburn dropping points. There are teams in there that don't want to be in there. And at the moment, Preston, the only side showing that they have got the capabilities to generate a run of form to get into there. Quite a few games left to go. Whether they can sustain it, I don't know. This game showed, whilst they had dominance, there were some, I wouldn't say issues, but flaws in this Preston side. For example, taking chances. Um, that might impact them for the rest of the season. But the runner form is good. They're in contention. They've put themselves in contention and they deserve it. Well, we've had plenty of Preston fans giving it the big and tours on social media recently. And they're more entitled, more than entitled to do that because we did essentially rule them out. And I don't think we can be blamed for that. Even Ryan Lowe was saying they're not playoff candidates a matter of weeks ago. Mm. So, I mean, he deserves a huge amount of credit for getting them even close to this position because the squad is nowhere near as strong as the likes of Norwich, Watford, West Brom. In fact, virtually all the teams around them. This is their best form they've shown all season. Will they be able to continue it for another five games? I'm not sure. They have been massively helped by every other team chasing the playoffs, suffering a drop in form. And in normal seasons, I don't think they'd have entered the conversation like like they have done, despite their good form. I think it is increasingly likely that goal difference will play a part in who finishes in the playoffs because it is so tight. Preston's is minus four right now, much worse than 
most of the teams around there. So there's still a lot of work to do to actually get in there. And I'm still quite sceptical of them actually getting into the playoffs. But they're well and truly in the conversation, aren't they? And credit where credit's due. They have been brilliant and it's brilliant that they have entered the conversation. The Telegraph is reporting Paul Ince's future at Reading is in doubt. It's after failing to win in their last eight. Now, we are recording this on Tuesday morning, so it wouldn't surprise me if he gets sacked after we finish in good podcasting tradition. Would that be the right move, Justin? And what should they do next if he is sacked? I was contemplating bringing this up uh, in the previous episode, but I sort of refrained, really. But now it's sort of, the hand's been forced a little bit. My opinion on Paul Ince is that of... He needs to get more out of a very good group of players that he's still got at the club. I know they had a lot of transition over the summer. A lot of players left, a lot of players came in. And there would be question marks as to whether this team is actually better than where they are placed at the moment. But I think the key the key case you've got to take from this is Lucas Zhao. Lucas Zhao's minutes per game or, or goals per game has dried up under Paul Ince because of his inability to get the best out of him. Paul Ince was desperate to get Andy Carroll in because he wants to play a certain way. Reading don't create enough from open play at the moment. They're only really a threat from set pieces. So when you're going into games, when you're up against it, games are tight and you can only rely on set pieces. It's just not enough. And mix that with an inability to keep clean sheets. Sadly, you're not going to last very long. And this is completely unsurprising, really. I think when we were sceptical about Paul Ince and Reading, we made the comment of his Blackpool side when he took charge of them all those years ago. They got up to fourth or third in the table and then they dropped off. They dropped like a stone and Reading have done that. They got up to a really good position in the championship and they dropped off because his football's unsustainable because it's too simplistic and easy to play against. Simple as that. Whether changing the manager at the right time is now, I don't know. Five games, you're looking for an immediate impact kind of manager. May I suggest even Mark Bowen potentially. Um, but it's, it's, it's a bad time. It should have been done maybe three or four weeks ago to give a new manager enough time and maybe that international break to, to get some ideas across. But you are looking for a, for an impact man like Harry Redknapp and Neil Warnock. You're looking for that three-game winning streak to get you out of the shit, basically. Well, I've given Ince the benefit of the doubt despite their shocking form since the turn of the year because the squad has been put together on less than a budget. And so the fact they'd be outside the bottom three if it wasn't for the points deduction is quite remarkable in itself. Got to be said that the football has been shocking recently. The average XG over the last eight games is 0.46. They have been very negative over the last few weeks. Overly negative, really. If they do sack him, then I wouldn't be too outraged by that. And I think you're quite spot on actually Justin they could do a lot worse than giving Mark Bowen the job until the end of the season he did a great job there before so why not you're just looking for someone to get results from the final five games left of the season and in those five games they've got Burnley and Luton in the next two which doesn't make for great reading does it then they've got Coventry and then their final two are six pointers against Wigan and Huddersfield there aren't many good opportunities left for Reading to get points on the board so the club needs to ask itself, who's more likely to get them points from that handful of games? Paul Ince, Mark Bowen or someone else? Because it's desperate times, isn't it? Blackpool lost their first game since sacking Mick McCarthy. They were no match for Luton at Kenilworth Road, who won 3-1. Luton came from goal down to win this one, but as the game went on, it always looked very likely that they would go on to win. Carlton Morris got his 17th goal of the season. He continues to have a fantastic campaign. Pelivoda Campanzu got a brace, only his second and third goals of the season. Justin, it only just dawned on me yesterday that if Luton get promoted, he'll have been with them from non-league to the Premier League, which <laughs> is incredibly remarkable, isn't it? It would be, he would be the first player to do that with the same club. And yeah. he might even be the first player to have started in the National League and then worked their way up by each league and got to the Premier League. I can't think of anyone else who, who has done that. Someone else might have, but either way, it would be an amazing achievement, wouldn't it? That's why it's testament to him and Luton, isn't it? He's he's clearly a gifted player, although sometimes he might might be lacking in the I just gonna sound harsh, maybe the technical ability to really thrive at championship level. But he makes for, makes up for that in his ability to or, or drive to want to really, really do well for Luton and do well in games and 
play to his very best. He's had a couple of injury problems as well um, this past year, which hasn't hasn't helped his progress. But I think it's more testament to his ability to be consistent as well as Luton's because again you've got players coming up from non-league might get released around League 2 League 1 but he's stayed within the team he's been consistent he's been that constant reliability and he's still a key player for Luton and I think that's a remarkable thing the fact that he's not a squad player he's still, he's still very key to, to Luton he's still got a lot of attributes that really suit that Luton side and obviously Luton's rise from non-league as well is remarkable in itself I think that's something that gets forgotten quite easily but they're a good side. They deserve to be where they are, and so does uh, so does Impanto. He's been he's been superb for them over the years, and hopefully we see him in the Premier League and, and Luton because we all want the Kenny to be in in the top flight, don't we? Absolutely. Uh, Luton will almost certainly be competing in the playoffs in a month's time, and they'll be licking their lips, won't they? Preston are only the other side, other than Luton and Middlesbrough, have shown any sustained form over the last couple of months. And with that being said, despite the twists and turns which we'll see in the playoffs between now and the end of the season. I'd be surprised if anyone actually won the playoffs who wasn't called Luton Town or Middlesbrough because those two look a step above the teams behind them. And even then, Borough have had a mini wobble recently, haven't mm-hmm. they? So meanwhile, only Burton, uh, only Burnley sorry, have won more points this calendar year than Luton. They've only conceded two in their last seven games. Marvellous Nakamba's been a fantastic addition in midfield, as has Cody Drama at right back. Carlton Morris is banging them in for fun. I mean, we can't completely rule out the top two, but as things stand, they could be heading into the playoffs as the team to beat. I was thinking this last night. They are very difficult to break down and they've got goals in them. It's, it's a very uncomfortable mix, I think. And since Rob Edwards has taken over as well, they've taken their game to a completely different level to what Nathan Jones was sustaining. Um, and I think that's the, the the brilliant thing about them, and that makes them a very dangerous outfit in the playoffs. We look at Middlesbrough, for example. I know we're going to get onto them, but the way they played against Bristol City, they were quite open at times. And whilst you're allowed to have a, a little wobble when Middlesbrough have been relentless, they they have always left teams opportunities to exploit them. Luton are very switched on. They're a team that will exploit those weaknesses as they do with other teams. And they are very good at, t- at keeping clean sheets. You look at Nakamba, for example, and Panzu, Alan Campbell, all similar type players where they're very busy, but they've got some end product as well. So yeah, this is a very, very nice, nice looking Luton side. It's very well balanced and it's taken a completely different level under Rob Edwards, which is a very, yeah, very dangerous one for the other teams around them. In my experience as well, the sides who are the most drilled defensively tend to do better mm-hmm. in the playoffs than the open, free-flowing, attacking sides as well. So maybe just another thing to keep in mind with Luton heading into the actual playoffs. Stephen Doby was in charge. It was in caretaker charge of Blackpool for this game and will be for the remainder of the season. They weren't terrible here, just outdone by a better side. And I'd ask our Blackpool down, Justin, but they've got Wigan this coming weekend, so at least one of them is guaranteed to get points. A loss, though, and maybe even a draw, actually. And... You're as good as down, aren't you? Quite quite simply, yes. Blackpool looked... I mean, they made a very good start against Luton. They they started very brightly. Then they exploited some holes that were uh, left by Luton. But Luton took control. And I think that's more telling of a team low on confidence that when you just allow or just pass over control of a game so so easily, um, that's probably, probably why you're going to be going down, unfortunately. They're just not good enough defensively. They've got goals in them. Uh, but they've not been able to tap into that quality yet. So I think, yeah. Is it Dobby or Dobie, by the way? I'm sure it's Dobby. I don't know. It's always been Dobby or Dobie throughout yeah. his career, but I think I think it probably is Dobby. I just said Dobie instinctively a second ago. The Dobman, whatever. Um, yeah, the Dobman coming in, I don't think he's going to have as much of an impact as he needs to have. Um, so I, I would question Blackpool's suitability to staying up. Um, I'm, I'm still convinced they'll go down. Dobby is a free elf. West Brom threw away a 2-0 lead by drawing 2-0 with QPR. Good of West Brom to put in their two worst performances of the season after I backed them to finish in the playoffs. Uh, West Brom scored both their goals while some of their supporters were outside of the stadium as part of a protest against the club's ownership uh, where they weren't going to go into their seats until the 12th minute, which is quite funny in a cynical kind of way. But good on the West Brom fans to 
you know, do their bits to stand up against how the club's being run. But ultimately, West Brom was second best for a lot of this game against a side who had lost ten, uh, who had lost nine games in ten prior to this. This is at home as well, where West Brom have set up a real fortress, and it might be the off-field certainties that have that are having an impact on the team. I think I'm not blaming the supporters; they need to do what they need to do, and some some things are bigger than than a promotion race, unfortunately. But you can't help but think that after you know the last few weeks, things have really started to take a dip, and that's when the news are sort of ramped up in in terms of you know, West Brom's current financial state. So that might be having an impact, but at the end of the day, as, as as well, the players have put in a couple of really poor performances. Probably a good result against against Millwall just before the Easter weekend, um, and then yeah, this one, this one, this one was, was was really poor. They keep a lot of clean sheets at home, for them to be opened up as easily as they have been on several occasions in this game is is really disappointing that's what will disappoint Corbyn the most I think Jed Wallace saying that West Brom bottled it and they don't deserve to be in the top six is is quite telling considering there's still a lot of football left to be played Uh, he's sort of making assessment already yeah it's uh, it's not a good place to be no it's really not and I just want to read what Jed Wallace had to say after the game because he hit the nail right on the head. He said, it's disappointing. We had a massive opportunity over the weekend, over the weekend to make a dent in where we want to get to. And for the lack of a better term, we've bottled it as a group of players. We've not done enough to win the two games and haven't played to the level we know we can play at. In the last four games, their opponents, Justin, have included Cardiff, Rotherham and QPR. They've not won any of those games. And it's amazing, really, that West Brom still have a decent chance of getting in the top six because they're only five points off and have a game in hand. But it's incredible how different they look to the side that was wiping the floor with teams mm-hmm. around winter just after Carlos Corbrand came in. But certain individuals are not stepping up like they should do. Mark Albrighton's done nothing since coming in. He's an experienced Premier League player. Nathaniel Chalabar's not been much better. The two fullbacks don't inspire confidence. I'm still not convinced about them playing in a back four. I don't think they're good enough defensively to be playing in a back four. I know West Brom aren't exactly flush with numbers, so they can't play a back three. And maybe Carlos Cobran don't want to play a back three anyway, but they don't inspire confidence. And Brandon Thomas Asante hasn't been convincing this season, despite the goal on Monday. You can't rule them out nicking a playoff place because of the points gap, but certain experienced individuals are letting the side down and should be playing a lot better than they are. There's no underestimating how big a result, though, this is for QPR, Justin. Not just the point, which is incredibly valuable in their hopes of staying up, obviously, but in terms of confidence as well, because confidence has been, well, what's below rock bottom? It's (laughs) it's been that low, isn't it? It's been minus. It's been minus, uh, which is absolutely impossible. Um, Yeah, I don't think you can really uh, underestimate how massive this is to, to QPR and Gareth Ainsworth um, I can't remember the last time they have showed any belief it's been a long it's been a long time coming um, and and this is this is yeah as I say when it comes up against a team who are pushing for the top six it's quite a remarkable feat to be able to do that and do it at a place where not a lot of teams have scored goals this season I think they've conceded three or four West Brom since Corbrand's first game against Sheffield United which to credit to QPR they were brave in, in how they played and they, they they got the rewards for the, for their play, maybe a little bit less than what they deserved, but you'll take it. You'll absolutely take it. Two 0 down away from home, two two uh, bringing it back to two two. It's it's a fantastic achievement. As uh, as I've pointed out, that QPR haven't done very often at all since. Again, I, I don't know. It's been a, a very very long time. So yeah, you've got to credit them. They 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 pressed. They were aggressive. They had some quality as well. You look at Elisha's chair's delivery for Lyndon Dykes' header. Chris Martin's goal from 30, 35 yards out. Absolutely fantastic. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a draw between Blackburn and Huddersfield and a win for Hull. (music) 
Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Just want to flag up Justin being a sneaky little boy then saying Chris Martin scored a, a screamer from 35 yards out. Failed to point out that it was an open goal after Josh <laughs> Griffiths in the West Brom goal had an absolute clangor. Oh, he kicked the ball at him as well, so it was hardly a finish. So. <laughs> yeah, very generous with it. <laughs> yes, very generous. Um Yes, a late equaliser from Ryan Hedges saw Blackburn draw 2-2 away at Huddersfield. Huddersfield were two up at half-time. Blackburn pulled one back just a couple of minutes into the second half and that led to the following 45 minutes essentially being attack versus defence. Blackburn forced Thomas Vaklic into some good saves but couldn't make that golden chance until the Hedges goal. Joe Rankin-Costello had seven shots on target in this game, by the way. He's a right-back, which... That That is one of the most incredible stats I think I've ever seen, Justin. For a striker to have that many shots on target is insane. But a right back is unprecedented. Um, but despite being ahead for a lot of the game, I think a draw is a much better result for Huddersfield than it is Blackburn, Justin. Well, Blackburn, I think they need to win, really, to... to well, you could be up against a team who have been in really bad form, obviously good form of late, but as a... I think we've pointed out already that when your team's pushing for promotion against a team who are low in the table, on paper you're expecting a win. So I think Blackburn would have been going into this game relatively confident. And why not? They've earned that right to do so. But Huddersfield was stubborn, as we've said with Neil Warnock's side so far. They're a very, very stubborn team and they didn't allow Rovers too much too many glaring opportunities. There was quite obvious. I mean, the first 45 minutes they didn't Second half, Blackburn probably should have been three or four, four uh, three or four goals ahead, and they just couldn't break them down. I think that's testament to to Huddersfield's um, pursu- relentless pursuit of yeah, getting that result. But I think Rovers, yeah, they needed to win to, to to really maintain that push for the top six. It's not a poor result, and the manner of coming from behind as well is important for character. But maybe an opportunity miss for for Rovers. Well, Blackburn aren't very good at breaking teams down who play with a low block. I don't know why more teams don't do it against them because Huddersfield won the back foot throughout the game, but Blackburn just couldn't produce anything of major significance until the goal, which came from Vaklic in the Huddersfield goal, parrying it out straight to Hedges. This was only the second point they've won from losing positions. And it's been a problem all season for them, dealing with sides who don't have to come at them. They have really struggled when a team has gone ahead and has the chance to just, you know, take a step back mm-hmm. and just defend. If they were better at it, they'd probably be probably have more points on the board and be sat comfortably in the playoffs. But that really has been an issue for them all season. Blackburn remain in the top six by virtue of having a slightly better goal difference than Preston. Huddersfield are now two points clear of the bottom three. That would have been enough to see them survive last season, which is interesting. How many points do you think it will take for them to survive this season, Justin? I think one win might be enough. Potentially. I think I said 45, didn't I, for teams, or 44 or 45 not too long ago. Uh, We've got Rotherham on 45 now, and I would say that they're safe. And I think Huddersfield, yeah, safe-ish. It's a safe with a... Asterix, well, they might cock up, sort of thing. Um, mm. Huddersfield probably fall into that same category. Uh, and, and if you look at the form of Rotherham Huddersfield, it's a lot better, a lot better than the teams that are below them. So I would say forty-five. You get to forty-five, and maybe you might be safe. But that's down to teams below them not being very good. Let's not settle for forty-five. Let's go for fifty. Let's be comfortable. Let's be happy. Let's have a nice, enjoyable end to the season and forget all the crap that's happened before us. That's the yeah, yeah, the attitude I would be. Uh, inheriting the rest of the season. Well, if they held on to the three points here, then they'd be looking very good, wouldn't they? But considering their form recently, you won't rule out them getting a couple more wins before the end of the season. But as I say, one may be enough to just see them over the line. A goal from Adama Traore, not that one, saw Hull beat Millwall 1-0. Despite the defeat, Millwall were great here. If it wasn't for Cole Darlow in goal for Hull, they probably would have won. He he was sensational. One of the best goalkeeping performances I've seen this season. So Gary Rowett can count themselves a bit unfortunate in this game. Having said that, Millwall have dropped off recently, haven't they? Just two wins from seven. If the teams outside the top six were in better form, they'd probably be outside the playoffs right now, wouldn't they? 
Well, that, I think that's the thing, isn't it? The fact that other teams below them just haven't been taking advantage of teams slipping up over them. Preston, Preston have made up a lot of ground uh, on on the teams above them because they've been so consistent in winning games and how inconsistent the teams above them have, have been. I think that the, the, the not winning not winning in the last four games is an issue, but not scoring in the last four games is also an issue. That being said, they created enough against Hull to probably win the last four games. They were that sort of open, not not open and free flowing and attacking, but they, they just created enough opportunities. I think that Burke one that hit the bar and came off, uh, came and hit the line. I think is as unfortunate as you get, and that's probably when you think maybe today isn't going for us. But I think if Mill will continue to play like that because they didn't concede many chances either and Hull are a decent side with some really good attacking threats that were largely nullified throughout this game. If they continue to play like that for the rest of the what, five games that they've got, I think they've, that'll be enough to see them over the line, but they need to be aggressive and clinical in putting away the chances. They're one of those sides that I do have question marks about whether or not they can do that. Well, goals are the obvious problem, aren't they? They seem a bit reliant on the likes of Tom Bradshaw and Zion Fleming scoring for them. The only... Other attacking player with more than one goal is Andreas Vogelsammer with yeah. three. Gary Rowett's admitted they tried to get a striker in in January and they ended up with Oli Burke, who is far from the clinical forward they needed, isn't he? So if it doesn't improve, it could cost them a playoff place, couldn't it? Tom yeah. Bradshaw is a bit hit and miss in that respect. He's got a great talent this season. I imagine it must be the best he's ever had at championship level without looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, he does seem to score in spits and spats. Zion Fleming seems to score just from distance. And that's you need someone really who's going to be sweeping up the chances that Mill will create in the box. Essentially, yes. Ollie Burke is not that number nine Mm. that they needed. So they, they desperately need to improve that. Although, as I will keep saying, it's not like there's a host of teams banging form, queuing up to get into the top six, are there? Because no one seems to have any form apart from Preston. Having said that, it is Millwall v Preston next weekend, which is a gigantic game in the race for the playoffs. Liam Rosinia has reportedly been under a bit of pressure at Hull, which I find completely bamboozling. It's after one minute in ten, but... Even with that form, it would have been a bonkers decision to get rid of them because Hull's season is over. So who really cares if they have a flat end to the season? What they need is consistency in the dugout. And Rosinia is the man to lead the club going forwards. I've got no doubt about that. Keep in mind, when he came in, they were fighting to stay up. Since then, that's not been an issue for months. And only 10 teams have picked up more points than Hull. Only ten, only two teams have lost fewer games than them, which is quite good for a team who were in serious danger of going down. He knows the league. He knows the club. He knows the players. He's got them playing a lot better than they were. Certainly got them defending a lot better than mm-hmm. they were. Hull would be crazy to even consider getting rid of him. So hopefully... This win on Easter Monday will go a long way to securing his job heading into next season. Coventry came from two goals down to draw 2-2 at home to Watford. Watford was so much better here before normality resumed. Chris Wilder admitted a point doesn't really do either side any favours, but Watford were lucky to even have that because Coventry had a penalty turned down, which I I think it's fair to say was fairly stonewall, Justin. I think it was fairly stonewall as well. It was Dean Ashton on the... A review show said it wasn't. He tripped up his own legs, but that's contact init- initiated from Kamara, wasn't it? So, yeah, I mean, we are talking about one at Wilson Ebrand, aren't we? But that was, yeah, it was as stonewall as you get. It was a, a clip of the heels that's made uh, Wilson Ebrand to, it's made him clip his own heels as well. So, yeah, contact from Kamara has made him go down and, yeah, pretty poor decision. I think it was Keith Stroud refereeing and he gave a very soft penalty at the weekend or in the fight in the Friday fixtures. So yeah, he's 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 hit or miss, isn't he, as a referee? Yeah, Keith Stroud seems to be the least popular referee <laughs> yeah. who's regularly in the championship because every time I look on Twitter and someone has whichever team has been given Keith Stroud for their game, their fan base goes it's into a meltdown. It's, it's um, very disappointing. Yeah. yeah, he he does seem to be a bit, you know, hit and miss with his decisions, but 
I mean, the standard of refereeing in the championship has always been questioned, and it despite us thinking that it's actually been a bit better. But there will be a, a bit better this season. But there obviously will be the odd decision each weekend, which is certainly very questionable. Matty Godden's goal was very strange in this one. Ben Hamer in the Watford net just let it fly past him, and I just assumed it was going wide when he hit yeah. it, but it ends up nestling in the bottom corner. Whether he could have actually saved it or not, I don't know. But he didn't do himself any favours by not at least diving towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is fine margins in the playoff race, isn't it? If Coventry had been given that penalty, scored it and gone on to win, they'd be just a point outside the top six. For me now, and I'd be interested to hear what you say, Justin, I think Coventry are the side outside the top six most likely to finish in the playoffs. And I'm saying that despite their form not being great recently. My thinking remains as things stand. Luton and Middlesbrough can cancel any plans they had in May. They're definitely going to be in the playoffs next month. It's the other two spots which I haven't been sure about. Millwall have been great recently, but I think they will. I say clenching my teeth. That leaves the one place available and Coventry are probably the most likely now in my view. The remaining games are QPR, a big six-pointer against Blackburn, who have dropped off. Reading, Birmingham and Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough aside, Coventry should be looking to win all of those games. And they have been hampered by injuries. But when you've got the likes of Jokerez, Hamer, Godden, they should have enough firepower about them to get more wins on the board than they have done recently. So I reckon Coventry are the most likely now. Having said that, I said it was West Brom before the Easter weekend, and then that turned out. So maybe I'm the problem. What do you think, Justin? It's a good point to make. I think if you look at Preston's recent record, their last five wins have come up, have come up against Cardiff, uh, Rotherham, uh, Blackpool, QPR, and obviously Reading. They're teams that are down there, and Coventry have got a similar run of form. It's just whether or not Coventry draw too many of those games. That's been a real problem of theirs as well. They've drawn too many games to really make that assault on the on the top six. They've got quality. Godden's back here, back fit. He's obviously scored that weird goal that might improve his form. Although I'm sure he's scored better goals than that. Um, Gilchrist has dropped off a little bit goals wise, but he's still contributing. I know he played very well against Watford and grabbed an assist as well, which is really important for him because he's he's, he's an all action forward. It's just whether or not they draw too many games. None of those teams pushing for the top six have convinced me they're good enough to push for the top six. So at this point, it's hard to really see Blackburn and Millwall dropping out because, as, as I pointed out, none of those teams have convinced me so far. So why would I suddenly decide that one of those teams will get into the top six? Well, Blackburn and Millwall haven't been too convincing recently, have no they? One, no one's convincing, but they're in the top six. So if the season finished now, I'd be happy because... I mean, that's it's, it's easy for me, but as uh, just no one's convincing. That's what it is, and this is why it's so difficult this season. That's why we keep being made to look like mugs every week because everyone's so inconsistent. God, the championship. God, <laughs> the what thing is, is, people want us to give us. They they want to hear our takes on who's going to finish in the playoffs. But at the moment, it is like throwing a dart at a dartboard. Into who knows who is actually going to finish in the playoffs because. It may just come down to a team crawling over the line because they managed to get two wins from the last five games, which, as things stand, may be enough because none of the teams around you know sixth place or looking up at sixth place are getting wins on the board. So it's it's really really difficult trying to predict who's going to finish in those last two playoff spots. Um, interesting point on this game. Chris Wilder said Victor Jokerez was the best player in the league, which, I mean, he's in the conversation, but I, I think there were other players ahead of him for me. I, I, I've got to say, I just found it a bit weird that he singled him out. Um, but with Watford, I think their playoff hopes are just about over now, aren't they? They can still get there. They're only six points off, but there's a lot of traffic in the way and they simply haven't been convincing enough for quite a while now, haven't they? Very mid-table side, very mid-table form. Won 14, drawn 14, lost 13, scored 49, conceded 47. It's very mid-table. And that's quite a damning uh, indictment of how Watford have progressed this season. They've been largely very, very lacklustre. Despite winning games, they've still been lacklustre. They've had me on sort of 10 tucks in that. They'll win games with 
by being poor and you just think, well, if you actually improve your play a little bit, you will be a very good side in this division and they've got the place to do it. We know they can. It's just not been it's just not been blended in the right way, quite rightly down to the ownership. And hopefully Wilder can provoke a, a response. He provoked a response in this game for sixty minutes for Coventry got themselves back into it. So yeah, there's there's certainly I think a lot of potential there under Wilder. But this season you'd probably rule them out. Go next season and really build something. Just build something. That's not hire and fire in knee jerk. Let's just build something. And I think Wilder's the man to, to build under. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure where Watford really go next, if I'm being completely honest, because the club is just an absolute mess, isn't it? Norwich were held to a 0-0 draw at home to Rotherham. Another game where Norwich have been huffing and puffing, threatening to cause problems, but don't actually deliver. Another good goalkeeping display, I think, is worth pointing out. I, I Norwich had a lot of good chances and Josh Vickers in the Rotherham goal made a lot of good saves. So I don't think I, I can criticise the performance too much from, from Norwich's perspective because they were largely very impressive. They created a good amount of chances, but as you pointed out, they huffed and puffed and they just struggled to have that aggressive uh, killer instinct that they've had in previous years. And that's maybe down to the age of the players. You look at Pukies, he still got the hunger he had a couple of seasons ago. Maybe, maybe not. Josh Sargent's coming into the four. Um, and they probably lack the, those other threats that other Norwich teams have had in the past. So I think that's what it's down to. But can't can't be too critical of this performance because they were kept out by very good Josh Vickers. I think you can be critical of the performance, Justin, because you're at home against a team fighting to stay up. If you're Norwich and you're aiming for the playoffs, you should be looking to win this game. But goals are just turning out to be a real problem for Norwich, which really shouldn't be an issue. They've only scored three in their last six games, which is not a great record at all. But when you've got the firepower that they have, I mean, Josh Sargent now, he was ex- excellent earlier in the season, but he's only scored three since October, mid-October. Timu Puki has had, well, without a doubt, his poorest season at championship level, considering he was fantastic before. You would expect a lot better from him, but it's just all a bit underwhelming at Norwich when it, doesn't really have to be this way. Marquinhos, the young lad on loan from Arsenal, has been very hit and miss for me as well. And often what they seem to rely on is just Gabriel Sara producing a bit of magic. He is a fantastic player, an unbelievable talent. But to pin it all on that one player when you've got so much other talent around the squad is, is very poor. So Norwich are another side who are still very much within the chance of getting a playoff place. I think they're only one point off without looking at the league table. But they would be another side who, if they actually did get into the playoffs, they would be fully crawling over the line because they haven't been convincing at all under David Wagner. Rotherham are edging closer and closer to safety though, aren't they? Four points clear of the bottom three with a game in hand. That might be a big enough gap based off how much some of the other teams below them are struggling points. Uh, They still have to play three of the top four. So don't go counting your chickens just yet. They have got a game in hand though. A Joel Pirro double saw Swansea beat Wigan 2-0. Not a great showing at the back by Wigan. Not something that's been the case with them since Sean Maloney's come in. He has really strengthened them defensively. But Mm -hmm. this wasn't a great example of that. Are Wigan down now? Just in just two wins since the World Cup. They're eight points from safety with five games remaining. They have got a huge game against Blackpool next weekend. But even if they did win that, it's difficult to really see them staying up into it. They just don't score enough goals, do they? And that's the key problem. They have improved defensively under Maloney, although Torre set the bar very, 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 very low. Um, so I don't think it was. it's been... There's been a massive improvement, but as I say... It wasn't exactly a high bar to, to, to jump over from Maloney. I have been impressed with him in parts, and I think this approach to this game where he, Maloney wanted to be aggressive, he wanted to be on the front foot at home, didn't really play into his hands, just don't think he's got the quality of player to do it. Uh, yeah, look at the, 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 the finishes by Joel Pirro, very, very clinical. Not something even said of him too often this season, but that's the difference between a side like Swansea and a side like Wigan in that Wigan don't possess those type of players. Unfortunately, they've got very good League One players and they've had players who I thought could step up, but they just haven't. Might be down to just the, the manager. They might come up and, and have another good season if they get promoted next season from League One. But for me, that's that's them down. They just don't have enough quality going forwards and not quite good enough at the back either. Sunderland got just their second win since mid-February by beating Cardiff 1-0. 
Sunderland deservedly went ahead through a Dennis Serkin goal. Despite their lacklustre form over the last two months, and this is a this feels like it's the running theme of this episode, they're still within a shout of the playoffs, aren't they? Four points off the top six, which, I mean, two wins since mid-February, and they're still just that far off. Just I think it speaks a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It's again, it's very hard to assess because you can't really say Sunderland have been brilliant over the last few months, but for them to still find themselves in contention of the top six is quite bizarre and brilliant in, in its its own weird way. They're a good side. They've got a lot of potential. I looked at this front three, very very fluid. They cause Cardiff a lot of problems. It's just whether or not they can maintain consistency in their play throughout ninety minutes at home that might let them down, pushing for the playoffs. They've got so much ability. I love Jack Clark. I think he's been magnificent this season. It's been disappointing to see Alex Pritchard have periods of, of injury as well because he's he's looked sharp when he's when he's been involved. And obviously them not having a number nine has been massively detrimental to the top six push. I think that's the fine margin. That's what's that that's what's been the fine margin over the last few months is them lacking that number nine. I've been impressed with Sunderland. I still think they don't quite have enough to get into the top six. That being said, Mowbray can sometimes cultivate uh, a really good run of form and he might do that with Sunderland but I look at this game for example they should have been home and hose it's just that lacking a number nine that might be the problem this result means Cardiff are back just above the bottom three they were quite disappointing here didn't really lay too much of a glove on Sunderland really Middlesbrough came from two goals down to draw 2-2 with Bristol City I have no idea how Bristol City didn't score more here they forced Zach Steffen into some brilliant saves I was actually quite impressed with Nigel Pearson's side here if either team deserved the win it's definitely them should we be concerned by Middlesbrough's recent form Justin it's one win in five not saying they're going to drop out of the playoffs I just don't see that happening but it's not a great time to in the season to suffer a slump in form, is it? It's not. But at the same time, it's probably more symptomatic of how successful they've been under Michael Carrick so far. They're probably levelling out to some extent. Levelling out for them is still a very good side. But their, their form is just dropping off a little bit. I think that's to be expected. They have come up against, I think, a good attack inside in Bristol City. They don't have anything to play for, um, which makes it a little bit more difficult, I think, in some in some circumstances but I think the manner in which they got back into the game and the manner in which they played the rest of the game gave me a lot of reassurance that this is just a blip they're still a very good side they still create some decent opportunities after Matt Crooks put them or equalised for them in, in the 64th 65th, 65th minute it's just a slight concern but as, as I point out they set the bar so high for themselves that any drop off is going to feel like a disaster but it's not all teams have this run of form. Yes, it's a bad time to have it, but they've got enough games between now and the playoffs to correct it. So I'm quite confident that it'll be fine. And finally, Birmingham v Stoke ended goalless. Two teams with nothing to play for. So give us some entertainment, guys. What have you got to lose? Uh, no news in this episode. Unsurprisingly, there hasn't been much that's happened in the two or three days since we last recorded over a bank holiday weekend. So in that case, we'll go straight into this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So this is where I ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs and he would say Villa, that's one down. And then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin were to say Weymouth, he'd be out or lose a life, depending on how many lives he's given. So he, all he needs to do is give me all eight answers without losing all of his lives. However... We're mixing it up this weekend. Justin is going to be asking me and I have to answer to Simon Grayson's hateful eight. So what you got for me, Peachy? You're going to feel the full force of Grayson this week. Can I tell you? It's going to hit you hard. I'm going to ask you who Simon Grayson's eight clubs that he's managed. That didn't make any sense. And I, I was convinced that we've done this before, but now I'm not convinced. But all no, you've got to do is tell me. All you've got to do is tell, is tell me who are the eight clubs that he's managed. <laughs> I can tell you now I'm not getting this. How many lives am I getting? I'll give you I'll give you three because Simon it's his own career, he wants to celebrate it. Simon's feeling very, very forgiving. The last eight the, the eight clubs in his career or the just eight in clubs in his career. He's done one club twice, just to give you a bit of a clue. Um so yeah, there's there's eight clubs. Are you expecting me to name the Indian club that he's in charge of? 
it came up not too long ago on the podcast. So I would be disappointed well, if you this, there's no point in us even carrying on because I cannot remember what that Indian club's called. Listen, don't throw in the towel. <laughs> don't throw in the towel. I'll give you a clue. I think it begins with B. It does. I don't, I don't know what it is, though. So you That's can right. either just give okay. me Indian club or or we just <laughs> give up now. <laughs> Let's 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 rifle through the first few, okay? Let's get them out of the way, and then we'll okay. get to the club that's difficult. Right, Preston. Correct. That was his fourth club that he managed. Lovely. Leeds. Correct. That was his second club that he managed. He had a four-year spell at Leeds. Uh, Sunderland. Yep. Made famous by the documentary, where he lasted only 17 games and won just three of those. And now I'm struggling. Um, please just give me Indian club stop thinking about that Indian club okay we'll get to it is it and you've got to promise me you won't take off a life here for me completely <laughs> ruining this is it something like Benklaragru or, or something like that I'm going to give you that okay what is it Bengala Benga <laughs> Bengaluru <laughs> Bengaluru, yeah, I, I knew it's something like that. Okay, I'm incredible. quite okay. We'll give yeah, that, that you could have just put that into a You should have just given me Indian club to be no. honest, but there you go. Um, for some reason, Bristol City are sticking out at me, but I'm not sure he did. You have lost a life. It is not Bristol City. You're close, okay. but not close. I'm not going to give you any more clues. I'm, I'm too, I'm too loose. Fleetwood, you're correct. Yeah. You are correct. He managed quite a few games for Fleetwood in between a very short period of time. I don't really know how that worked. Um, I don't have any more in front of me because I've got to scroll very far down the page. Wonderful. Um, I'm going to stay in that part of the world. I think he managed Blackpool, actually, now that I think about it. He did. He managed Blackpool twice between 2005 mm. and 2008. And then he had a little spell between 2019 and 2020 before Neil Critchley took over and the good times happened until now. Now I'm really struggling. You've got two left. Because you absolutely can, butchered the name of the Indian club. <laughs> can I have... Um, they're all English, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, can I have what part of the world they're in? Because no, I honestly have no easy. idea. It's too easy if you give you what part of the world. He didn't venture too far away. I, I mean, I'm surprised he went to the Indian Super League. He stayed so... <laughs> Concentrated in one region, it's incredible. So I'm going to guess that region's the northwest. But he, he wasn't in charge of Blackburn. Pretty sure he's not been in charge of Burnley. I wouldn't say the northwest either. You've got two lives remaining, and we've time's ticking on. Yeah, time is ticking on. I really need to hurry up here, don't I? Um, just throw a club at me. That's up north. Hmm. I'm really, really struggling. I've got to be honest. Oh, oh, Huddersfield, Huddersfield. Yes, that one's yes. That's the one I thought you wouldn't get, but you've got that. No, I should, one. I should have got that because I literally spoke to Lee Peltier and Simon Grayson was in charge when he yeah. was there. So that's one remaining. I'm really struggling for options. So, in the interest of saving time, I'm gonna throw out a northern club. And say Carlisle. Not Carlisle, it's too north. Too north, okay. Too north. Just think about the clubs that you've said so far, and there's been a concentrated factor. There's been a recurring theme of him not venturing too far away from this region. I thought you said one wasn't far away from Bristol City. Uh, I didn't mean location. I meant <laughs> in how it sounded. Or spelt. Bradford City? <laughs> yes, Bradford City. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just Brewer City. <laughs> I mean, no idea when that happened. When did that happen? That was 2018. Um, that was a long, oh. yeah, really forgetful spell. I'm quite surprised that he got jobs after that spell because it was a disaster. I mean, it was only a five-month spell. It was 14 games, three wins. Same season as the uh, Sunderland spell. So, yeah, quite a step down, you might say. Yeah, I, I don't recall that at all, but... There you go. Despite all the odds stacked against me, 
I've come out victorious in Simon Grayson's hate for late. I think the most remarkable thing is that I even got the Indian club even slightly right in that respect. You, if you'd have mumbled it, I'd have probably been more convinced by what you said than you actually saying the name of that club. I still can't remember what it is now, even though you gave me it not too long ago. Um, but there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's been Simon Grayson's Hate for Late. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. This has been our review of all the Easter Monday games in the Championship. And we'll next be back on Thursday to give you a preview of the games coming up next weekend. This is part of my, mine and Justin's rock and roll express period of Second Tier episodes where we do four episodes in the space of a week. So, you know what? We're really gifting you this, listener. So if you if you want to really give your thanks to us, then please give us a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and I don't know, Google Podcasts, if, if that's even a thing. But yeah, it, it only takes five seconds of your time and it goes a long way to helping us grow as a podcast and we will be eternally grateful for you doing that so we look forward to seeing you again on thursday this has been the second tier podcast i've been brian dilks i've been justin peach and a big thank you for listening Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.